takes the snap, looks left under pressure. Bullets one over the middle, and he's got Crowder at the 10, cuts it back at the 5, goal line! That's over the middle, in the air, picked off! Brian Poole to the end zone, touchdown! The punter to beat, and the punter brings him down. Brayden Mann saved a touchdown, most likely. There goes Gunner to the 40, to the 30, breaks the tackle at the 20, 10, 5, unbelievable! Touchdown! And welcome back to another episode of the Cool Your Jets podcast. We're your hosts, Ben Blessington and Michael Nania. But now we have a third guest co-host for today's podcast, PJ Clark, who is a, a good friend of mine from Syracuse. You may also know him as at the real PJ Clark from Twitter. Great Jets fan, funny dude. And he's also the host of at Boom or Bust Draft podcast, um, which he just started a few months ago. It's already doing really well. Um, so I'm sure we're going to talk about the Jets draft because it's pretty much all we've been looking forward to since uh, the beginning of September. Um, but PJ, I'll start with you and then Michael, I'll go over to you. Uh, let's talk about this Kansas City Chiefs game because another week, another Jets loss. But every week I get emotionally less and less invested. So this week I was actually, despite only putting up nine points and having no touchdowns, I was fairly impressed with how the Jets did in the first half. PJ, what were your initial uh, takeaways from this Jets game. Yeah, first first off, thank you boys for having me. Uh, long time listener, first time caller. Very, very much <laughs> appreciate it. Uh, yeah, no, I was actually impressed with, with the moving of the ball in the first half, especially. I did not have uh, three scores in the first half pegged for this Jets team. Uh, but, you know, Sergio Saturday was going well there for a little while. And uh, the, the Blacks field goal at the end of the first half was, was kind of a bummer. But uh, it was better than I thought it was, than I thought it was going to be, rather. Uh, I did not see nine points going up on the board, and I did not see only 35 going up for Kansas City. So I, I guess it was fine. I, I have to say, I did text you right before, and it was, the game kind of went how I thought it was going to go. I was a little off in some of my predictions, but I was like, I think it might be kind of close to start, and then they're going to blow the doors open either right before or right after half, uh, which is exactly what happened. The Chiefs did cover the 19.5-point spread. Um, but yeah, that blocked field goal was, was pretty huge. Um, but yeah, their overall, the ability to move the ball the last two weeks in the first half has been fairly impressive under Dow Loggins, even if it hasn't re- resulted in any touchdowns, um, or I guess the results in the Michael P. Ryan touchdown, but it hasn't resulted in much points. Michael, what did you take away from this game? Obviously, again, some, some positive um, things from the Jets rookies, Denzel Mims, uh, Mekhi Becton, the Michael P. Ryan, and Braden Mann, you can't forget him. Ashton Davis did struggle a little bit. Uh, I don't think we saw Zuniga much at all. Um, but Michael, just your, again, your, your initial uh, takeaways from Sunday's game. Yeah. I mean, for the second straight week, you know, since switching over to Dow Loggins as a play caller, we saw the offense come out and look like an NFL team for a couple of quarters. They had the opportunity to score 12 points if they could have made that last field goal. But, you know, again, they came out looking pretty decent. It wasn't explosive, but you know, they were, picking up productive short gains, getting into third and shorts, converting them relatively at a relatively decent rate, picking up first downs on first and second down, which is something they never do. And they got themselves into scoring position four times on, I believe all four times they had the ball in the first half. It was a slower pace game. They only had four drives each in the first half, I believe. So they looked competent in the first half, but second consecutive week come out after halftime and absolutely nothing offensively in the second half. I think they had 63 yards second half in this game, which is which looks like a lot compared to four last week, but is still pretty awful in its own right. So uh, same issues still linger that we've seen with Gase, the lack of adjusting 
uh, I guess the starts have been faster, I guess, or more sustained throughout the first two quarters, right. but still nothing to show for it in the second half. Yeah, it's funny as Jets fans that we watch um, these last two games and we think like, wow, we look like a competent team. We put up, you know, I know it's like, wow, we look so confident. (laughs) They put up 19 points over the past two games. It's it's incredible. (laughs) And and we said this last week, and it's pretty much been the the case the entire season is the defense has been arguably more alarming than the offense. I mean, the offense sucks, but it sucks last year. Darnold has definitely regressed. There's been a lot of negatives with the offense. Don't get me wrong. Adam Gase is still the number one problem with the team, but I would say the defense's regression, I think caught me by more surprise than the offense's ineptitude Um, because this is a top 10 unit under Greg Williams last year. Obviously they lost Jamal Adams. You could point to losing CJ Mosley, I guess, but they only had him for three quarters last season. Uh, PJ, I'll go to you first again. What do you think has been the, the biggest issue with this defense? Do you think it really is just the loss of Jamal Adams? Do you think it's defenses having, uh, or teams rather having a, an entire year of, of Jets' Greg Williams tape? Do you think it's Greg Williams' message has run out? Or do you think it's just, you know, Greg Williams doesn't have enough ingredients in the, cook, uh, in the kitchen to make a good dish? I, I think it's more of, I think his luck has kind of run out. I think last year you you had... Nathan Shepard, who was really good. Kyle Phillips made a lot of plays. Uh, Foley Fadakasi made a lot of plays. And those guys have not really been back. I don't even think Shepard plays anymore. Uh, and those guys have just not had the same seasons. Even Basham, who has been who has been pretty good this year, who I do like a lot and I would like to stick around, I, you know, he had a better last year than he has now. Uh, Avery got picked apart today. He was getting bullied by Travis Kelsey over the middle. Uh, and the corners, I mean, bless, bless is a tackler. He's not great in coverage to is in a long line of bad jets, cornerbacks of Tremaine Johnson and Buster screen. This year might be up there. I don't care how many interceptions he has, but, uh, Ashton got picked on today. I don't, I don't know how many guys, you know, could really do much against Mahomes and Tyreek Hill, but Ashton definitely was involved in a couple of those deep touchdowns. And, you know, the one positive, I guess, Quinn had played well. Um, so that's that's pretty much where we're at. I'd like to see more Bryce Huff snaps. But uh, overall, I don't think it's an Adams thing. I, I think it's just kind of the, the carriage turned into a pumpkin from last year because Greg elevated all of these, you know, middling to terrible edge rushers that have just gone back to sucking. Right. And there was a lot. And that was kind of Joe Douglas's, I guess, I don't want to say theme. Um, but the way he built this team, he was certainly relying on a lot of guys you know, like Bless Austin, like Blake Cashman, like Brashad Perriman, a lot of guys who we were expecting to potentially take a jump and some call it tanking other, others just call it, you know, a smart uh, assessment of where this team was. He wasn't going to dump a bunch of resources and trying to make this a, a quick fix into a winner. Um, but I was saying this to Michael yesterday, if you were to tell me that, you know, Makai Becton was going to have the type of start to his, his career that he, that he's mm-hmm. had so far, um, because we were talking about in the draft that he had the highest ceiling out of all those tackles. And the fact that he's answered some of his warts and pass protection as a college prospect, I mean, you can make a very good case that, that he will be the best tackle in that class, even above yeah. Jedrick Wills, who's been playing well. And if you were to tell me that Quinnen Williams is developing in his second season, the way that he's been, I would say that this team, it would certainly be in the ballpark of a, of an eight and eight, nine and seven team and not on, you know, track to be one of the worst in NFL history, uh, Michael, I just asked PJ the question about the defense. What do you think it is with that defensive unit? Um, just when you think about the development uh, development of Quinn and Williams, particularly as PJ just brought up, because he's really looked well. You know, John Franklin Myers has made uh, some nice plays. 
you know, even guys like Bryce Huff has made some play. What is the big issue with this defense? Did just the, the carrot turn into a pumpkin or do you think it, it is just a, a true lack of, of, of talent? Well, Ben, I think the point that you brought up is really the crux of it. They've been relying on a lot of guys to take second year leaps and those haven't really come together. Blake Cashman, you mentioned he got hurt three snaps into the season and hasn't been able to get back into that starting lineup. Bless Austin has had a horrible season. I, I really thought he had the potential to be a solid mm-hmm. starter with, you know, how he's able to just come out last season after two ACL surgeries, played solid that second half until he did finish the season getting benched. But he's really struggled this season, has missed a lot of tackles, even though he can make some when he does finish his tackles, they look really good, especially in the flat, but he misses a lot. And he's been at the top of the list of missed tackles at cornerback. So he's disappointed. You haven't seen Cashman break out. So you've been stuck with Neville Hewitt, who is not good. And Avery Williamson has not been close to the same player following his return from ACL surgery. Uh, and then on the defensive line, Foley Fadakasi hasn't been as much of a presence against the run as he was last year. Nathan Shepard, who had a promising finish to last season as a pass rusher. He's been non-existent. Uh, he's, he's, I mean, he spent a lot of time on the bench too. And when he has been out there, he hasn't looked good at all. So th- I think that's really the main point. And losing Jamal is huge. I think that it definitely is really the main reason for the decline. I think his, his role in their success last year definitely hasn't gotten as much credit. Not that he didn't get the credit because we knew how great he was. But I definitely think that this is a look at what last year's unit could have looked like without Jamal Adams in there because he's just such a big part of what Greg was doing. Second half, he really changed up the scheme, was playing a lot of Tampa 2, was being really aggressive, moving him and Brian Poole around uh, and was making things easier on the outside corners, just playing them off, relying on them to just do their role, make tackles underneath. Uh, But now without Jamal Adams, you're relying on a lot of guys to kind of pick up that slack in a lot of different ways. And players like Austin, like Dazier, haven't been able to do it. And Marcus May, when he was in Jamal Adams' role, uh, was not nearly the same player as Jamal was in that at that position. Now that May is back at free safety, he looks more comfortable. Uh, He's playing a lot better. But in Jamal's role, he wasn't playing well. And then McDougald, no matter where he's been, has really struggled. So there are a lot of different reasons, but Jamal is a big part of it. And I think, like you said, Ben, uh, just relying on players to take leaps, be able to handle bigger roles, it for the most part hasn't worked out. And I, I we didn't even, neither of us mentioned him. I was just thinking about guys who I, I tried to, to see make plays today. Uh, Jordan Jenkins, who has been the one kind of mainstay over the last couple of years in terms of any at all pass rush, has been uh, nowhere this year. So even when, when you're taking a guy, maybe not expected to, to make a leap, but I know I was surprised at least at, at the one year, 5 million deal that he got. I expected him to leave and I expected him to get a little more after eight sacks last year. He's got one this year. And I, I don't, I can't even remember yeah. the one. I don't, I don't remember the last time he made a play. Yeah. I mean, he's never been that high output um, sack guy. He's more of a cleanup run stuffer guy, but you have to give Joe Douglas some credit there. I mean, I, I think Joe Douglas so far, his biggest mistake is not bringing back Robbie Anderson, but his ability to evaluate talent. And Jordan Jenkins is a good example of that, of not overpaying because you see a guy get eight sacks. He's been here since 2016 and not handing out immediately a three-year uh, $20 million contract or something, you know, one year, $5 million is what he thought Jordan Jenkins was worth. And that's what he's played like um, arguably under that. 
Um, so you have to give Douglas some credit, some credit for that. And, and this is the part of the podcast that I think could get a little contentious between PJ and Michael, because Michael, you were the, I mean, I don't want to say number one, but you did write a hundred reasons to believe in Sam Darnold over the off season. Uh, we want to talk about carriages turning into pumpkins. Your view of Sam Darnold has drastically fallen PJ. I know you are, are slowly getting on board with the Trevor Lawrence um, talk, but I know that that Sam Darnold is, is your young King. I saw this question posed by at uh, Raj PC one on Twitter and, and, and I it pretty much ignited a little bit of a, a firestorm of, of debate. Uh, and so I wanted to bring to this podcast, PJ, I'll start with you. Would you classify Sam Darnold as a bust? Obviously considering the, the surrounding situation and look, he still has eight games to prove himself as the leader of this franchise. Um, but certainly at the beginning of the season, nobody would have said he was, but after eight games, you know, those are eight games under Adam Gase and, and with one of the worst situations in the NFL, but those eight games have been among the worst, uh, not only in the NFL this season, but in NFL history. So PJ, I'll start with you. And then Michael, you can pick up and, and absolutely obliterate Sam Darnold. I actually voted in, in this very poll from Raj, uh, I said no, but the more I think it, it was a very quick trigger for me on no. But the more I think about it, I think because the kind the comparison is now Tannehill, right? It's like look what he's doing without Adam Gase coaching and, and with King Arthur. Can we just can we just ignore? Yeah, and and with King Arthur, your your boy, uh, <laughs> very true. So the comparison is Tannehill. I don't remember Tannehill being being ever like this bad right yeah. i think it is getting harder and harder to defend sam and even say that he's not ruined forever and say that he's going to be fine in indianapolis or pittsburgh or san francisco whoever i i still think somebody smart preferably kyle shanahan should try to make a play and try to redeem him but especially with eight more games of this i i think it's borderline irredeemable and I, it breaks my heart to say, but I just, I don't see it being fixed. I, my biggest thing is now you have a franchise left tackle in Becton and you're still getting, even in a clean pocket, it's still happy feet back there. And, and that has gotten worse now over the course of three years. And I don't care who the coach is at some point it's on the quarterback. And at some point he's making these mental mistakes. He had two passes today that, that should have just been blatant interceptions. I call it, I tweet out every week. There's the Sam Darnold, Darnold bonehead play of the week. And those aren't going away. And like, if you're really, really good, you can get away with those one a week. He's not that good. And I'm beginning to believe, I don't think he'll ever be. Yeah. And I think the point you made PJ about Tanhill is an important one to keep in mind when you're making this comparison, because Tannehill, even though Darnold is, he's a more talented prospect coming out, you, you might even consider him more physically talented right now. But Tannehill was never this bad from a production standpoint. First two years for Darnold, there was every reason to be optimistic. The final four games of his rookie season, fantastic. Last year, start off rough. He was playing with Mono in the opening game, missed three games, then was recovering from it, but had a good second half of the season. Solid second half. Not amazing, but something you could build off of. But this year, his production is just historically bad. Coming into this game, and it's probably worse now, his first down rate, percentage of passes for first down or touchdown, was on pace to be the worst versus league average in the history of the stat, which is since 1993. So almost 30 years 
no qualified quarterback has been as bad versus league average converting first downs and touchdowns as he has been. And there have been a lot of games in his career where his production has not matched up the way he's actually played. Like the Bengals game last year, he put up terrible stats, but he actually played pretty good because the supporting cast let him down and the supporting cast still has been good this year, but he on in his own right, independent of what's going on around him has been a much worse quarterback than he was the last two years. So his production, just Tannehill's, he was not good for Miami. He probably was, you probably wouldn't even consider him above average, but he was not this bad. So, and Tannehill too, when he went to Tennessee, was already in his 30s. So it is a lot different. You're talking about a guy who was later in his career, a lot more developed and kind of easier to tweak. And then now you're talking about Darnold, a more broken prospect. So those comparisons, while Gase is, the you know the common variable there there isn't you know there are a lot of things that are different namely just the production that you're working off of because Darnold right now is just I mean every single game this season he's thrown for under seven yards per attempt this is now five straight games he's been under six yards per attempt and that's just not going to cut it so in terms of whether or not he's a bust I think it depends on what how how extreme you think a bust is like is a bust Christian Hackenberg or is someone like Mitch Trubisky a bust? Because, you know, I, I think it just depends how you define the term. Because, like, you know, you could have Hackenberg, Stephen Hill, Devin Smith, guys who do absolutely nothing, Ja'Kai Polite. Or is it someone who just underperforms at all compared yeah, to like- their draft position? Because if that's what your definition is, then, I mean, Darnold definitely could be considered a bust. Because I think if I told you that when the Jets traded up for him, that he'd give them three seasons – they wouldn't make the playoffs. They wouldn't win more than seven games in a season. He'd never throw more than 17 touchdowns in a season. He'd be the worst quarterback in the league in his third season. I think people would be pretty disappointed in that. But uh, at the same time, his decline largely has to do with how the team is built around him, the coach they hired to develop him. So it's largely not his fault that he's here, but at the same time, the results are definitely well below what I think the Jets were hoping they'd be getting when they traded up to take him at number three. And yes, before I just, I didn't mean to cut you off, Wes, but no, no worries. at some point you have to, the, the supporting cast is bad. Everybody knows that we can, we can talk about that for an hour. It's not going to make a difference that yeah, Joe Douglas, for some reason thought Rashad Perriman might turn into Randy Moss, but like <laughs> at, at some point, if you are this like franchise changing guy, this, this top 10, 12, whatever we want to call him, whatever we thought he might be quarterback, you make do with what you have. And right. I, yep. I, I hate to make the Trevor Lawrence analogy, but it, it, we talked about it uh, when Justin Ross got hurt and Clemson lost T Higgins and then now losing Justin Ross Trevor Lawrence is throwing to, yeah, their four-star prospects in Frank Ladson and Joseph Ngata and, and Amari Rogers is a really good slot receiver, but he does not have two of the four best wide receivers in the country that he had last year, and he's making do. And I get it's a, it's a different situation, but at some point, if you are that good, you, you just elevate the talent around you, and Sam has never been able to do that. 
Yeah, he's certainly not the the Mitch Trubisky or Christian Hackenberg type of bust that, that Michael you alluded to. He's probably more in the vein of, and I'm not necessarily calling these guys busts. I just think this is where Sam aligns with the Jared Goff and the Carson Wentz's of the world. I think if Darnold was in a situation that was more comparable comparable to those guys' situation, you'd see him have much more success. I don't think he's as bad as his numbers show. He's never been that bad. But PJ, like you this said, year, he, he has though. I, th- I think that's the most important thing. Last two years. He definitely was not as bad as those numbers, but this year he he has been. I think that's really is there's there's season so hard to hard to bank on him over a Lawrence, even a Fields or a Lance, because the production is awful and you can't really even though the supporting cast excuse is there, when you just look at his film independent of all that other stuff, he's playing that badly, just accuracy, footwork, decision making. So I mean, no, no doubt that's the case. But when you factor in who is coaches and you can argue fairly easily that Adam Gase is the worst coach in the NFL and among maybe the worst head coaches in NFL history, when you think about it, and when you look at his supporting cast, and I'm not trying to make excuses for him because he clearly has shown way more warts this season than his first two seasons. But PJ alluded to it. He has the, the Sam Darnold bonehead play of the week. He will have the Sam Darnold, you know, amazing play of the week. This play, this week was probably the the throw to Mims, I guess, that, you know, the NFL Twitter account will post and people will think, you know, will say, hey, Sam Darnold's going to be really good somewhere else. But you can't win with J.R. Smith at the quarterback position. You can't win with a guy who has a few great, great plays, a few terrible plays, and then just, you know, kind of mediocre. You can't have a streaky guy at quarterback and expect to win Super Bowls. And that's why I think it's, it's very clear that if the Jets are in the position to do so, they're going to take a quarterback. Uh, pretty much no matter how Darnold finishes uh, this uh, his last eight games as a member of the New York Jets. And speaking of those quarterbacks, obviously Trevor Lawrence uh, has COVID, so he's not playing uh, this past weekend or this next weekend uh, at the very least. But Justin Fields played on Saturday. He looked really good. PJ, as a draft guy, part of the reason we brought you on is uh, we wanted to get your thoughts on some of these draft guys. Let's start with the quarterbacks. Another guy we didn't mention, Trey Lance. I would say those three are really the only three in contention as of now, and probably more so Lawrence and Fields as as the guys that the Jets could look at uh, in April as Darnold's potential replacement. Again, eight games left, but it's just been so bad through eight games, and this team is so bad that they're pretty much guaranteed to at least be picking top five, uh, and it's almost a foregone conclusion that Darnold isn't going to uh, to – I don't even want to say return to the heights of his second season. It's just this first eight games have been so bad um, that, that the next eight don't get much easier when it, when you look at the schedule. Um, and I don't have much confidence that he will turn it around. So let's talk about fields first and then Lawrence, because obviously Lawrence is, is the more obvious of the two as a replacement, but what are your thoughts on, the, on this quarterback group? Start with fields. You could talk about uh, Lawrence. You could talk about Lance. Um, I know you, you've been against the idea of drafting it, but it seems as you just kind of alluded to, you're, you're more and more, uh, welcoming a, a new quarterback uh, in 2021. What are your thoughts on this class? Who do you think fits the Jets best? Who excites you the most? And just kind of your overall take. Well, overall, as a class, you didn't even mention it. Uh, a guy who's been a really big riser for me, um, Zach Wilson, BYU's quarterback, I, I right. think has now played himself. Uh, I, I have him at seven right now on my board. I, I feel like that's kind of high, but I try to take positional value to account. So I, I do think Zach Wilson has now played himself assuredly into the first round, if not into the top half of it. But uh, as you said, I, I think the only two guys that I would target if I'm the Jets and the, they should be, in theory, at least in a bad enough position to go get 
are Lawrence and Fields. Um, entering the season, I had Trey Lance at QB2. Uh, just based off of last year's tape, I, I think um, much like you're seeing kind of Justin Herbert, I was low on him. And now the reason why, when I go back and watch, because I've watched a lot of Oregon tape from last year for uh, Penny Sewell, but Oregon's offense really limited him. They didn't play to his strengths. Oregon runs this offense that kind of just did, they did a lot of screens, a lot of quick passes that didn't let Herbert kind of build. And now you're seeing it. Yeah, he has a great supporting cast with the Chargers and in, in Mike, Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, uh, you know, Eckler when he's healthy. Josh Kelly was a really good draft pick by them this year. But they're letting him cook. It's the let Russ cook thing. Justin Herbert is cooking. That's never something he was allowed to do at Oregon. Justin Fields this year, the knock on him is that Ohio State's offense is so incredibly easy to run. They have really easy reads. He's playing with, with five stars all around him. Guys get open, and, and it's like kind of a one-read thing. And he makes all of the throws. This year, though, I know it's only been two games. He's now firmly QB2 for me over Lance. Uh, I just – I thought – I compare Trey Lance to baby Cam Newton because he's a little bit smaller. I, I do think Trey Lance is a dynamic runner. That's his biggest strength with when you're drafting quarterback, maybe he's not ideal, but he is an absolute tank. He will run through you around you juke past. He is fast. He is huge. Six, four, but the physical tools have not caught up to the mental game yet. He doesn't always have to make reads at North Dakota state that are NFL reads. He's got NFL arm strength, but the accuracy isn't there in his one game this year. He threw his first interception. That was his big calling card last year, 28 touchdowns, no interceptions. He did not look good accuracy wise in, in their showcase game this year. I think that's partially because North Dakota state showed up off the street cold and played a central Arkansas team that was playing their fourth game of the year. They were two and one and central Arkansas, I believe was number 11 in FCS at the time of that game. So central Arkansas was kind of at game tempo and it's hard to simulate that. Um, but Justin Fields has been so impressive. He came back leaner. He's on this vegan diet. Now uh, he looks faster. He he's, he's better cut. Um, I saw Sam, uh, your boy, Sam, the other day was tweeting about how great he is at the read option, which I think is really, really important. He is very quick to process even that in that, you know, rather easy Ohio state offense. Uh, and a couple of the throws he made last night, the touchdown to Olave was, was a great throw. He made the throw to Garrett Wilson in the uh, Nebraska game over the middle. Uh, he has really, really impressed me through two games. But if you're talking about the guy who I want for the Jets the most, I think everybody wants for the Jets the most. It has to be Trevor Lawrence. Uh, I actually got the chance to go see him last weekend against Syracuse. Uh, made the trip down to Clemson, South Carolina. And um Listen, it was one of his worst games in college. He was not good. He didn't throw for 300 yards. He threw his first career pick six. Uh, accuracy was a problem. His best ball all day was actually dropped. Uh, he threw a 60-yard dime to Amari Rogers, who, who just dropped it on the goal line. Um, but the way that he processed things against a, a Syracuse defense that runs a 3-3-5, kind of different, and has um, – a pretty good secondary. Their two outside corners are, are two, among two of the better graded by PFF in the country. They haven't allowed that many touchdowns passing this year on the outside. It's really been tight ends over the middle. that's killed Syracuse. But Trevor was so quick to process that Syracuse played kind of this, this catch technique where they just played off the wide receivers. And Trevor was just hitting, you know, eight yards every time, button hooks, curls over the middle, 
just letting the rece- letting the game come to him. He didn't try to do too much. He took what Syracuse gave him, and that's what I was really impressed by. So, listen, I don't think you can go wrong. Lawrence Fields, I, I love them both. To me, I think Lawrence is in a different class. Um, I, I had been for the, the past couple of weeks saying, if you're going to move on from Sam, it should only be for Trevor. I do think it's bad enough at this point with Sam that Justin Fields has inserted himself into the conversation. Trey Lance, I think, is a bigger project. He's not there as a passer immediately. I think maybe a team like Atlanta, where if you're going to have Matt Ryan and you can kind of redshirt, scare quotes, Trey Lance and get him up to speed in the NFL, that'll benefit him more than playing immediately. Um, and Zach Wilson, you know, the meteoric rise is going to continue, especially if BYU keeps winning these games on national TV, more eyes are going to be on him. And he really is this Patrick Mahomes type gunslinger. I wouldn't take him if I were the Jets. I don't think the Jets are going to be in a, I guess, bad enough draft wise position to take him, uh, you know, picking outside of the top five. I'd be surprised if he, he got in there, but if Zach Wilson was QB three, wouldn't be shocked at this point over Trey Lance after only playing one game. But uh, I think it's it's Lawrence, sizable gap, Fields, and then I think you have to strongly consider moving on after that. Yeah, certainly not a bad year to, to need a quarterback for the well, Jets. You if, have... Listen, if this was the year to go 0-16, you are going to be drafting the best quarterback prospect, at least since Andrew Luck, if not – you know, going back to Peyton, like you could do way worse than going 0 16 this year. Exactly. When you think, you know, when you figure going 0 16 in front of no fans, you have the built in COVID excuse. And then, yeah, arguably, I would say probably the best quarterback prospect to ever come out. That doesn't mean he's going to be a better quarterback than Peyton Manning or Andrew Luck. But as far, I mean, I've heard of this kid since high school. He's just so refined and so polished in so many different ways that, that, young quarterbacks really don't get to until they're in their third or fourth season in the NFL. He's way more polished in things that, that Sam Darnold is still at level one at uh, when you talk about going through reads, that processing time, not getting happy feet, taking what the defense gives them. Um, Lawrence is clearly exciting. I think if the jets compare Trevor Lawrence with Arthur Smith, uh, you know, including Joe Douglas and that trio as well. I said this to Michael, I would guarantee you that the Jets, if they have those three, would win a Super Bowl in the next 10 years, which is a bold take for, for a franchise that doesn't want it in 50 plus. No, but that's that's just the thing. It's like, if you have Trevor Lawrence, if you have that number one pick, people are good. Like real coaches are going to want to coach him. Real players are going to want to go play with right. him. Like right. everybody knows how good he is. That is like a franchise changing idea. Yeah, and look at the Dolphins. I think the Dolphins are a great exa- great example of a team that was under the same head coach, Adam Gase. They were looked at as a laughing stock. Going into last season, they were looked at as the team that was also going to go in 16, but they brought in a good head coach in Brian Flores, who's established a different culture. They got their, their quarterback. It'd be a little bit different between Tua and, and Trevor Lawrence. Um, but now Miami is seen as probably an attractive free agent destination this, this season. So it's right now that there's the whole talk about Trevor should avoid the jets and that the jets are, you know, an inept organization, which they are, and that they're a laughing stock, which they are. But if you bring in Trevor Lawrence, you're going to be able to bring in a good GM or a good head coach. And I, and I believe that you already have a competent GM and Joe Douglas who knows how to build a franchise. If you can't land Trevor, if, Sam Darnold sneaks in a few few wins and you're you're picking two or three. I think Justin Fields is a terrific consolation prize. And if because you don't have Trevor, you can't attract Arthur Smith, I think pairing him with Greg Roman, 
and uh, now I've been saying this for two weeks now, who has the connection to, to Joe Douglas would be insanely fun given the, the offense that he built around Lamar Jackson. Mm-hmm. I think he's the perfect fit for Justin Fields type quarterback. I didn't even consider Wilson, um, but uh, you know, it is in my defense, it's just November. It's November 1st today. So we still have a lot of time to, to evaluate these quarterbacks. I've really just been looking at one and two, um, but certainly a guy like oh, yeah. Wilson and even Lance is something to consider just in case the jets pick up, you know, a win against Miami or, or uh, Las Vegas or, or the chargers, just something random. Um, and, and work their way out of, out of Lawrence and maybe even Fields territory, which I don't think will happen. I think they're yeah. about an 80% chance they pick number one. I, yeah, I, I don't see Trey or, or Zach Wilson getting into even a conversation, but I, I agree. I think the only way uh, Trey Lance works with the Jets is if you give him Greg Roman. It's somebody that's going to be able to tailor the offense around just the absurd arm strength and the, the rushing ability. But if you try to put him in, an immediate, you know, pro style offense. I don't know if it's going to work. I, the jets don't really have a great success rate on taking these, these projects. I don't want to call him a project, but he is a project as a passer. He's not a project as a football player. Um, They don't, I don't know if I like the jets odds by taking not a slam dunk when you, when you would have fields or or Lawrence to take it as well. So I'm higher on Trey Lance the most i don't want him out on the jets i think they ruined him in a second um but listen you said fields is a consolation fields isn't a, a, a consolation he's just not he he is in you know almost any other draft he is the the by far qb1 uh you know after last year i still had questions about burrow last year i i thought him being kind of old was was a thing for me he's, he was a 50 or senior I, I had some questions about, you know, the great offense he was in, having NFL players around him. He's been just as good as, you know, I thought he would. But maybe Fields is QB1 last year. Fields, you know, in the Sam draft as a prospect. I, I, Sam, you know, great prospect, not that great of an NFL player, as we just said. Fields and Sam, I think, is, is close to be QB1 in that draft. You know, it's just he feels like a consolation because he's coming behind the greatest college player prospect ever right but if you got him you are you are already way ahead of the game from where you currently are with sam darnold right and nanny i'm going to go to to you here because it sounds like a pretty much a foregone conclusion that the jets are going to take a qb with their first pick uh i'd be shocked if they don't if any sort of um if anything transpires over the next eight weeks that would prevent them from doing so. I think it's pretty much a shoe in that Joe Douglas is going to go ahead and pick his guy. But luckily we talked about trading Jamal Adams. Joe Douglas did get himself a haul for him. He has two first round picks the next two years. Let's talk about that Seahawks pick this year. We don't necessarily know where it's going to be, but I would say it's pretty safe to assume that it's going to be in the 25 to 32 range. Um, Seattle is a great team this year. I, I think they'll probably end up making it to that divisional or that championship round potentially even winning the Super Bowl, but I think they'll fall somewhere in that 25 to 32 range. Before we talk about prospects, Michael, because we, we haven't done as much work on this as PJ, let's talk about positional need. And this is not something you necessarily want to do in the draft, but when you look at this Jets roster, Michael, what excites you as, as targets for not only that, that Seahawks pick, but uh, the, the Jets' first pick in the second round, which will probably be within a 10-pick 
margins. The Jets should have two picks and, 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 and 10 picks right at the end of that first beginning of the second. What are some of the positions that you, you would like the Jets to, to target from a positional value perspective? And when you look at this, this team as a whole, what exactly Joe Douglas should, should really uh, focus his, his sights on in 2021? Yeah, when, when you look at this roster, I mean, there's hardly a position that you can't upgrade. So really anything could be on the table, depending on how the board falls at that point. But I, I look back to what the Jets did the last time they drafted franchise quarterback with Sam Darnold and how they messed that up. It was just not supporting him enough. The next pick they made after him was Nathan Shepard. They didn't pick another offensive player for him till Chris Herndon in the fourth round that year. And of course, they traded a lot of the picks to get him in the first place, but still free agency and the draft, not nearly enough to support him. The same thing the following year. So they really did not do enough to support him, both offensive line uh, and the skill position. So I think you definitely ideally would be going with either a guard or a receiver in that spot, because they're probably going to have to do both guard spots. Greg Van Roten, Alex Lewis have not been good. And, you know, they're already, they're both up there anyway, in age Van Roten in his thirties, Lewis in his late twenties. So they're not long-term solutions and they haven't done enough to show you they could be two year stop gaps. So I think those two spots will definitely be huge points of emphasis. Those two spots right there are the main reasons this offensive line, even with Becton and Fant having, you know, some good games, he's had his rough games, but I think he's been okay overall, even with that, it's been the guard spots that's really held them back and Connor McGovern too, who has had a disappointing season at center, but you could even move him over to guard. Uh, if you want to pick up a center, maybe if there's a prospect in free agency or the draft and kick Connor McGovern back over to guard where he started his career, that's a possibility, but interior offensive line or wide receiver, I think ideally is the spot, but at the same time, if there's a corner, if there's an edge, you can go with that, that spot, then that can definitely be on the table too, because they're, they've been really weak at those spots for a while. And we've seen how much this defense has been held back by the corner and edge spots. So those two positions could definitely be on the table, but ideally I think the jets should really emphasize supporting whoever that quarterback, whoever that young quarterback is getting him as much help as possible and especially not just help in general but guys he can grow up with in the league who can complement his skill set and develop year over year build that chemistry from the start because Darnold just did not get that opportunity with pretty much anybody on this team so um, learning from those mistakes building around that young quarterback complimenting him I think is really important so I would like to see it be either interior O-line or a wide receiver. And PJ, if, if we're going to put some names to those positions, who are some guys that you like at that end of the first, beginning of second? The, the Jets, you know, it's still super early, so we don't necessarily know the, the biggest risers and fallers. Um, but as we've said, we've been thinking about the draft since week two, uh, and most Jets fans are already sick of this season. So maybe give them some joy on Saturdays. Who are some guys that they should keep an eye out on Saturdays that could maybe help build around Trevor Lawrence or just improve this team as a whole? Uh, I mean, I, I will go to to my first thought upon immediately hearing that we would have Seattle's first round pick uh, back then, I, I still imagined that Jamar chase would be in the cards that we'd be picking, you know, on the top six uh, and Jamar chase would still be in the cards for Sam Darnold. That has obviously fallen through, but my dream of Trey Smith, uh, the left guard for the Tennessee volunteers uh, would be my number one target there. If you're going with the interior offensive line, I mean, he is a people mover. 
he is ginormous and he does it against this sec competition you know it, it just means more but as much as we we like to make fun of it i would rather take the the sec proven offensive lineman than a guy like creed humphrey um who is a little bit further down my board who who is uh at oklahoma you know you're playing against you know pro competition in the sec um, and Trace, Trey Smith has been one of the best guards in the country. He, he did not come out last year, um, which, you know, surprised me. Uh, he's a senior now. I was really happy to get more tape on him this year. He has been outstanding so far. I actually, I have him at 21 right now on my board. Um, so if he's, he's, if he falls a little bit, um, I'm higher on him than most. I'm higher on him at least than the rest of my, my co-hosts on boomer bust but i would trey smith has been my number one guy for that seattle pick uh for a long time so if you ever catch a tennessee and watch number 73 on the left side him and becton would uh definitely keep trevor and justin upright for the next 10 years um but after that wyatt davis another guard for ohio state those are the two interior offensive linemen that i have first round grades on right now wyatt davis kind of got beat up a little bit by a good penn state offensive uh defensive line rather last night um, a lot of couple of pressures, but uh, again, a really talented guy. I don't think you can go wrong with either Smith or Wyatt Davis. Um, in terms of wide receivers, uh, good year again, you know, as much as the last year's was, was so great. Uh, another great wide receiver class. I have five in the first round. Now I, I think the best chance of falling to that late twenties uh, kind of range there would be Rashad Bateman, who, who is Minnesota's number one wide receiver. Um, who I was lower on to start the year, but after their first two games, I've been really impressed with, with his yak ability and getting into space after making these catches. He's always been a big, spectacular catch guy, but his ability to work and get extra yards after the catch, I've been really, really impressed with. Uh, so he's number zero now. Uh, he's all swagged out in the number zero jersey for Minnesota. Uh, and then my biggest riser, if you want to talk about early, early second round, um, I'm really higher on him than most, but I, I think he's kind of, uh, he's not really wide receiver. He's more of an offensive weapon. Uh, Kadarius Tony, Florida's running back wide receiver, a hybrid, pretty much Percy Harvin light. Uh, Percy Harvin didn't really work for the Jets, but Kadarius Tony is a playmaker. You get the ball in his hands. They've been running them in the backfield. They've been running them on wide receiver end of rounds. They've been throwing to him. He had three touchdowns last night uh, against Missouri, another spectacular game for him. 83 total yards in, in a blowout win for Florida. I really like Kadarius Tony. And uh, Tylen Wallace, uh, Oklahoma State wide receiver, I think is now playing himself into the early second round. Uh, he tore his ACL last year. He's just working back from it. But another outstanding game for him yesterday. He has got bunnies. He can jump out of the building. That is his biggest strength, uh, going up, getting the ball at the catch point. Uh, really good game. Another touchdown yesterday against Texas. Uh, you know, health concerns with him there, especially tearing an ACL already. But, um, you know, a lot of good wide receivers. I, I tweeted it out last night in, in the middle of the Devonta Smith, um, Alabama's wide receiver, I think will be way gone before the Seattle pick. But, but Devonta Smith, big night last night. Uh, Ty Wallace, big day yesterday. Kadarius Tony, big night last night. I tweeted it out. There are a lot of good wide receivers in the 2021 NFL draft. And there were a lot of good wide receivers last year. And it was a mistake to only get one, even though the one we got is very, very good. Uh, it was a mistake to only get one, and I, I do expect that to be kind of remedied. So if you're going to take two, there are, are plenty to pick from. Yeah, certainly it's it's exciting uh, 
personally, just as a Jets fan, to hear um, some of these guys that, that Joe Douglas can can add to this uh, to this team because it's just there's just a dearth of talent on this team. When you watch Kansas City and then you watch the Jets, it's just night and day. The the, the type of speed that yeah. that Kansas City has. You know, McCole Hardman would be like the best player on the Jets offense. <laughs> it's like that guy is your fourth wide receiver and is only getting these targets because Sammy Watkins is out. It's like what are what are we doing here? But I I do think. You know, Mims brings that physicality. He's a big dude. You saw it today on that one catch that I, I sent a tweet out. The guys that I can recall making the catch he made today in our lifetimes, it's like Braylon, big body guy. Brandon Marshall makes that catch. He's like, he is that physical freak. So if you want to throw in. Hey, hey, hey. Percy Harvin did make a very similar catch in Kansas City in 2014. Percy, I don't know Percy Harvin actually actually did that is a very that is a very <laughs> he made like the same exact catch on the same sideline in kansas city in 2014 that's so. a very good pull by you but if <laughs> you said you want speed you got you got tony you got uh rashad bateman is a bigger guy if devonta smith for any reason falls you know jalen waddle is, is a top 10 pick to me he just broke his ankle alabama's other wide receiver uh he's my wide receiver too but if he falls because of that injury you know you never know um but there is plenty of wide receiver talent I, to kind of get a speed guy to go in with, with Mims and, uh, and presumably, I guess, Jameson Crowder might be sticking around. Uh, I don't think he gets traded before Tuesday, but there's plenty of, yeah, I wouldn't. For all I, the people that think Braxton Berrios I, is. I have had enough of Braxton Berrios. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, there's plenty to go around. There's physical guys. I would love to see Bateman paired with Crowder and Mims. I think that would be fantastic, but I really, I, I do have a little bit of a, of a, a man crush on Trey Smith. So if, if you want to target the interior offensive line, get that out of the way with the Seattle pick. And then, you know, six, eight, 10 picks later, go after a, a Tony, a Tyler Wallace, a Chris Olave type guy right. for the wide receiver. I think there is plenty of depth that you can punt that towards the second round. I mean, that sounds night and day uh, better than what the Jets have right now. Pairing Smith next to Becton on that, on that left side, it would just be the nastiest duo that the Jets might uh, have had. They would get mean. They would get really yeah. mean, and I'd love it. I and it wouldn't percent. even matter who you have at running back. Just run to the left. And speaking of running back. I'm you... glad you brought that up. I just want to <laughs> – there has been a lot of conjecture about drafting Travis Etienne. Drafting Travis – Etn is like the modern NFL running back. His his comp is literally Alvin Kamara. That is who he is. You get him the ball in space. He is he is unbelievable as a receiver. He is a big dude. It's not like Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who has been better as a runner than I expected him to be this year. Probably playing behind a, a pretty decent Kansas City offensive line, but his calling card was the receiving. Travis Etn is going to be a first round pick. He's good at both. He is the ACC's all-time leading rusher. He is a superstar. He's one of the best running backs in the history of college football. If the Jets spend a first-round pick on Travis Etienne, I might have a stroke on draft night. (laughs) There are too many holes on this roster. I get the Trevor Travis thing. You could brand it. It would be cool for like five minutes, and then I would get really mad thinking of the other guys that we passed up to take a running back in the first round. Well, I think that Piran is getting a lot of praise, which is, is unearned in my mind. I think Piran is, is good, and you're getting solid production from a fourth-round pick. I think he is – Oh, that might be a stretch. <laughs> he's going to be the Jets – yeah. He's going to be the Jets' next ball pal. Let's not get this wrong. He's going to be yeah. a solid contributor. He's going to be on the roster for a and while. Look, 
If Michael P. Ryan plays 10 years as a fourth round pick, more power to him. Go for right. it. Like, right. he, he will probably get a second contract from the Jets. We'll, we'll see how, how well he plays. But I don't think he's, he's running back number one for the Jets in 2021. No. I think he has good vision. I think he's great as a, as a pass protector. I think he's, he's great as a receiver. I think he's probably the Jets' third down back because he's great in those third and two situations because he's good at finding the hole and getting the first down. He can block whoever the quarterback is, and he can catch. But I don't think he's that every down bell cow. He's not Alvin Kamara. He's not Derrick Henry. He's not Dalvin Cook. So I do think the Jets should take a running back, but I agree with you. Do not take a running back in the first round. Don't take him in the second round, I don't think, either. I think the third round, maybe even go to the fourth round is where you're going to target him. I think one of those third-round picks, we know Douglas likes to trade down, so I wouldn't be surprised if he does move down at some point and picks up an extra third or something. Uh, that and, and we have to remind, remember the Darnold trade. They'll probably get either a second yep. or a third there. So I think that is probably where they can get a guy – um, like Journey Brown, like Chuba Hubbard, maybe Najee Harris falls there, Master mm-hmm. Teague. There's a lot of good running backs in this class as well. This is actually a, a I mean, we say yeah. this, this is a very talented uh, class for a lot of the positions the Jets need. Uh, who are the run? I know you don't want ETN unless he falls, has a drastic fall. Um, but who would be some of the running backs that you would like in, in that third round area? Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're talking about ETN, I would I I'd be hard pressed not to consider consider it at 33 if he got there he is absurd he is absolutely not getting there pending some drastic injury uh but if he was for whatever reason and you did take an interior offensive lineman with the seattle pick i'd be hard pressed i'd think about it for a while but i don't know if i'd still do it at that point uh you brought up journey brown who has been out for these first two games uh for penn state but that is a guy who i'm, I'm very high on um, I'd like to see him. I, depending on what this, this, you know, medical issue is, I don't know if that affects his draft stock at all. Not much has come out about it. Um, but if he declares and if he is in the draft, I, I definitely think that is somebody that I could see the jets targeting. Uh, you brought up Chuber Hubbard, who is a statistical, you know, maniac for, for, for Oklahoma state. Um, uh, but two other guys I want to throw out there. You said Najee. I think Najee is Najee's pro comp to me is like a less athletic Le'Veon Bell. The, the, when I watch Najee Harris, the thing that stands out to me is how patient he is. He looks like Le'Veon in Pittsburgh when he had a couple seconds to evaluate where the holes were going to be and, and hitting them in stride. And he is a big dude. And that's another guy who he is going to run a slow 40. I'm telling you, it's not going to be a good number. He plays slow, but it's not like he's, a, he's an Alabama bruiser like Mark Ingram or, or Derrick Henry. He is absurd. They, they throw one a week Najee Harris wheel route, and he just attacks the ball at the catch, catch point. He is very good as a receiver, unlike Derrick Henry, unlike Mark Ingram. He is a totally different Alabama prospect. I still think he goes a little too high, a little too rich for my blood. Uh, the guy that you didn't bring up, I, I like the three names that you mentioned. I'm going to throw a, a fourth in there. Javante Williams for North Carolina is currently my running back three. Uh, another really athletic, fast guy who's active in the passing game. I, I think uh, between Michael Carter and, and Javante Williams, North Carolina has, has two of the best, you know, might have the best running back tandem in the country. Um, either one of those guys, I think you're getting them at a better value than you would get, uh, you know, a Najee Harris, even a Chuber Hubbard, probably a Journey Brown, unless this, this medical issue becomes a really big problem. 
either of the North Carolina running backs, I, I think would be really, really good fits on the 2021 Jets. It's certainly just refreshing to hear this this uh, injection that the Jets are going to get into their roster after watching that that putrid performance in that second half. I'm really looking forward to seeing what Joe Douglas can do over these next two seasons because um, I, I, I firmly believe in Joe Douglas as a GM. I think, yeah, he probably shouldn't have taken Morgan. He probably should have brought him back Robbie Anderson, but he's shown more than enough uh, between the John Franklin Myers edition at, at the beginning uh, of last year, the Denzel Mims pick, the Makai Becton pick, Bryce Huff as an undrafted free agent, the way he has managed the cap, the way he is, he managed the Jamal Adams situation. I believe in Joe Douglas. PJ, before we let you go, Michael and I, we, everybody knows our, our number one pick, the Jets head coach in 2021. That's Arthur Smith. Who's your guy in your you know dream world? Let's say you're Woody Johnson. Who are you pairing with Joe Douglas um, to, to lead the Jets into the 2020s? Uh, I'm going to say I was very much swayed by your article. Uh, I once, once I read up on Arthur Smith, I, I, you know, that was a name that was in my head, uh, a name that was in my head before we hired Gase was, was another Tennessee offensive coordinator. My guy before that season was Matt LaFleur, um, who, you know, I don't know how, how much of it is Aaron, how much of it is him. Those two don't really like each other, but listen, he, he'd be better than Adam Gase was. Um, I think Arthur Smith would be a great hire. The guy I keep going back to though, is a guy that denied the jets, uh, after after the 2018 season and you know they went to look for rule and the jets are not a forward thinking organization and the fact that they even interviewed rule was surprising to me uh i would go back to matt campbell iowa state's head coach i would go back and i would ask again and i'd really think about it because you know brock purdy their quarterback um is perhaps the biggest faller in this nfl draft he has been downright brutal this year but they are still a good football team. Matt Campbell, I do believe is a really good football coach. Um, I would go back to Matt Campbell and at least inquire. And if he doesn't want to leave, that's fine. But if Purdy leaves and, you know, Matt Campbell was coming off back to back uh, big, big 12 coach of the years when the jets wanted to interview him. So it was understandable that he thought he was building something at Iowa state, but if Purdy leaves kind of a down year for him this year, they're not going to compete for the, the big 12 title you know, they're still ranked, but it, it, it's been disappointing based off of where they were to start the year. And, and Purdy's regression is a little bit of a concern for me, but if he's willing to leave, I think you take a good hard look. It's not something I expect the jets to do because that is not a jets hire hiring a college coach. Um, but I would look at Matt Campbell and I, I do think somebody gives Joe Brady a chance. I, again, I don't think it's us, but I think somebody, those would be my two that I would, I would look at. Yeah, I think Joe Brady, you know, we know he's close with Matt Rule. Matt Rule might tell him to stay away from the Johnsons. But going back to your point and the point that many people have made, if the Jets have Trevor Lawrence, guys like Matt Campbell, guys like Joe Brady, guys like Arthur Smith, they're going to be hard-pressed to turn that job down. I mean, if it's Sam Darnold in year four after the, the regression yeah, that he's had in year three – that's, that's a different story. It. I think you're limiting your options if you keep Sam. And at this point, the the – I was never a big proponent of, of find the, I was always a big proponent of find the quarterback and, and problems will sort themselves out from there. Uh, now I'm kind of like, let's get a real football coach in here and see what happens. So PJ, I think if you're limiting your options. Yeah. And I think that to, to win in the NFL, you need a good GM, which I think the jets have, you need a good head, head coach and a good uh, quarterback. 
I think that the Jets can kill two birds with one stone here. If they get that number one pick, they'll be primed to take Trevor Lawrence, which will attract a good head coach. And I think the Jets will be set up for the future. And that'll make this terrible season completely worth it. PJ, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Why don't you tell our listeners about your podcast? I mean, they got a a heavy dose of draft talk on November 1st. Um, There's plenty more months to go until this, this very important draft for the New York Jets. Tell listeners about your show where they can find you on Twitter uh, and what you're all about. Yeah. So uh, my show boomer bust, the draft show, you can find us on, on YouTube. Uh, Twitter is at boomer bust draft. We're on Spotify, Apple podcasts, anywhere you can get your podcast uh, boomer bust, the draft show. So it's, it's me and three of my buddies from Syracuse guys that, that Ben knows uh, every week, you know, we break down uh, the NFL draft. You know, we, we started as kind of talking about all different sports. Now we've kind of honed it. NFL. That's what we like the most. That's what we have the most fun doing. So if you go to, to YouTube, we got scouting reports on, on pretty much the big six for this year. I think the top six of, of Lawrence Fields, Lance, Jamar Chase, who was at one point uh, a potential future jet, Penny Sewell, who is, I am not joking, the single best college football player I have ever seen, and Micah Parsons, Penn State's linebacker. We got full scouting reports complete with tape and, uh, and highlights and everything full breakdowns on all of them on youtube uh we just did our last episode we talked about the biggest risers and fallers i told you Kadarius tony's my number one riser brock purdy is a pretty big faller if you want to get a, a good landscape of where college football has been in terms of the draft who, who's been good who's been bad and uh we've also done a lot of cool interviews we've interviewed a, a couple guys from pff mike renner their lead draft analyst trevor sikama the the lead uh nfl writer for the draft network we've had a lot of cool conversations with a lot of cool guys um, so definitely I, I, I recommend checking us out again, boomer bust, the draft show, follow us on Twitter at boomer bust draft. Uh, YouTube is linked there, Spotify, Apple podcasts, uh, appreciate the love, appreciate you two having me. It was a, a, a pleasure. Uh, you know, all we have to look forward to as Jeff fans seemingly is the NFL draft and I'm, I'm happy I can contribute in some way. Yeah. And in that sense, I certainly recommend your show because this draft is so important. And the only thing that Jets fans really have to to look forward to, but as I said, an absolute pleasure having you on our show to not to stack plugs on plugs, but might as well do ours right now before we wrap it up. You can follow us us at CYJ pod on Twitter. You can follow Michael at Michael underscore Nania, myself at Ben W Blessington. You can find our show on iTunes and Spotify and JetsXFactor.com, the best place to go for Jets content. We are also sponsored by Manscaped. Go to manscaped.com slash cool your jets. You can find uh, 20% off and free shipping for any product there. Make sure you check that out. And that'll do it for us. Uh, Hope everybody's having a good week. Uh, Don't let the jets ruin your life. We have eight more weeks of this. Actually, it's nine weeks, including the buy. So nine weeks of this terrible season to go. And then there, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, as PJ has previewed in this episode. Just have to get through these next nine weeks and, and it, it will be worth it. Uh, I believe in the Jets' future. It is dark right now, but get Adam Gase out of town. Get that uh, that long-haired kid from hey, Clemson. Maybe bring in yeah, Arthur it's, Smith. I'm it's always saying. darkest before the dawn. There, yeah. is, there is a light at the end <laughs> of this tunnel somewhere. I'm all for dark night quotes right there. But um, thanks for listening, everybody. Hope everybody is good. Down most likely. There goes Gunner to the 40, to the 30, breaks the tackle at the 20, 10, 5, on
Unbelievable! Touchdown! 